Close enough. Close enough. Okay. So they'll edit out the beginning and we'll just get started. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Judy Langhans from the Center for Continuing Education. And I'd like to thank you for joining us for our September session of Nursing Grand Rounds entitled The Joint Commission, Helping Support Patient Safety. I'd also like to welcome anyone who is viewing this presentation online. Just a few housekeeping details. The Center for Continuing Education has a new way of recording attendance. After the program, you'll receive an email from the Center for Continuing Education with a link to an online evaluation. Once you complete the evaluation, your one contact hour will be automatically posted to your online transcript. Um, even if you don't need the contact hour, we hope that you take a moment to complete the evaluation. The Center for Continuing Education appreciates your feedback. Um, please be sure to sign in, which is out in the hallway today, and you must attend 80% of the program to receive credit. And for those viewing online, if you could email me with your name, degree, and zip code after the presentation and let me know that you attended. And if you have any questions, you can send them to me during the presentation. My email is judith.m as in May, Langhans, that's L-A-N-G-H-A-N-S at Hitchcock.org. And please silence your cell phone and pagers. Our speaker today is Lee Roche. Lee is a senior clinical quality specialist in the Quality Assurance and Safety Office at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Lee has been working in quality for nine years and is currently the program coordinator for DHS Regulatory Readiness Program and has served as survey coordinator in several actual surveys. Besides being a nurse, Lee is a certified professional in health in healthcare quality. As a healthcare quality professional, she brings together data analytics, performance improvement, risk management, patient safety, and much more, helping others see the bigger picture. Neither our speaker nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this presentation, and no one refused to disclose. Thank you, and I'd like to welcome Lee. So good, good morning, good afternoon, good, good noon to uh, everyone here. We've got a nice small group, so let's, let's go through some of the slides and maybe have, we have the opportunity to have a robust discussion. Um, about the Joint Commission. I'm looking out here, and I see a couple of people who have some um, firsthand experience with our readiness program that I'll be discussing today. When looking at clinical standards readiness, think in terms of ready for the next patient, not the next survey. When you look at our standards, every patient we care for deserves to have at least those standards met during their care not just the patients who are lucky enough to be here the week of survey. So today I'm going to describe the purpose of the Joint Commission and I'll give you a little preview. It's not to make our lives difficult and it's not to give me job security. And they do actually have a different function. Um, list two uh, regulatory agencies and finally describe what's our continuous regulatory, uh, what does continuous regulatory readiness mean and what is um, our program. So one of the questions that I get is, why should we be accredited? Uh, first and foremost, it assures a baseline of quality performance. The standards are the minimum of what we ought to be doing. 
None of these standards that we're going to be going through today are best practices. These are standards that we ought to be meeting each and every time. Additionally, it is required by CMS and hence by private payers. Also, it's necessary for us to have a graduate medical program, a graduate medical education program that we be accredited. So what is the Joint Commission? It is an independent, not-for-profit um, organization. It accredits over 20,000 healthcare organizations, and there is uh, the international component to Joint Commission. So hospitals in France and in other places have opted to have uh, Joint com uh, Commission accreditation. And um, as people who have heard me speak on this in the past know, one of my retirement dreams is to be a surveyor for Joint Commission International. So what is the history of the Joint Commission? Well, I got to say, you can blame those surgeons. So in the early 1900s, um, a group of surgeons that eventually became the American College of Surgeons wanted to ensure that the hospitals that their patients were in um, had a baseline of safety, that these were hospitals following the uh, best practices of the time, which we may now shudder at, but they were the best practices of the time. They wanted to assure that those hospitals were following it. They came up with a uh, one-page list of standards. Now the manual is several hundred pages long. Um, in 1951 is when Joint Commission actually split off from the American College of Surgeons and became a standalone, uh, not-for-profit um, organization. What is the accreditation process? Basically, when they come in the next four to six weeks, what can you expect? Surveys are unannounced. We do not know when they are um, when they are coming in. We will get notice at 7.30 in the morning that we will have surveyors here by 8. And so we have 30 minutes advance notice. While they're here, they utilize this uh, methodology called the tracer methodology. And I'm looking at Bridget and Lisa right here in the audience, and I know they do lots of tracers. A lot of people all over the organization are doing a lot of the targeted uh, tracers. Joint Commission is going to be doing a full in-depth tracer in each of the areas that they go to. Um, when they do come up with findings, we have to address them within a 45 or 60 day period. So there are two types of standards. One are what they call direct impact, and those must be any, any um, issue they find with those standards, they have to be addressed within 45 days. The other standards are the indirect standards, and those must be, any findings with those must be addressed in a 60 day window. That's a lot of work. This generates a lot of work post-survey when we have um, these findings, because they have to be addressed so quickly. And, and it's difficult sometimes to move everything through the system in this 45 to 60 day uh, time frame. Now, once we are back in compliance, once we show them evidence of standards compliance, uh, we are then uh, reaccredited for another three years. So how are these Joint Commission standards, um, um, how, are they, how are they configured? How are they structured? So Joint Commission has multiple programs. There's a hospital accreditation program, a critical access hospital accreditation program, health care, 
uh, end-stage renal disease. Um, there are uh, multiple programs. So the, the rule book, if you will, that we have is we're accredited under the hospital accreditation program. Sometimes you see it uh, uh, abbreviated as HAP. Um, and within that program are multiple chapters. So think of it. So the book is hospital accreditation. And the chapters are each of the chapters in the book. So in this case, it's going to be things like uh, emergency management, environment of care, medication management, national patient safety goals, provision of care, um, et cetera. And within those chapters are the paragraphs, which are the standards. And we'll be looking at the national patient safety goals in a, in a little bit. Did everyone grab the handout on their way in? Yay. Um, and within those, those standards are elements of performance. These are the things that you can look at and actually get specific uh, language on exactly what the standard is looking at. Now, there are about 450 standards in total, and there are about 1,500 of the elements of performance. So here's just a picture of what it looks like. Lots of EPs, slightly less standards, less chapters, one program. So here's an example of a national patient safety goal. Uh, use at least two patient identifiers when providing care, treatment, and services. Now the question I'm going to ask you, is that a bad idea? Is that an unnecessary step when providing care? It's a necessary step. It's a necessary step when providing care. So the two elements of performance underneath this are using at least two patient identifiers when administering medications, blood, blood components, when collecting blood, et cetera. So, so much of what we do on a day in, day out basis. And EP2, uh, element of performance two, says that we need to label the containers in the presence of the patient. And the reason being, if a patient leaves a room and then you go in and label specimens, there is so much that can happen in between. You can get stopped in the hallway. You can, it, it, there is just so much that can happen. I mean, I, I could walk through example after example of, of interruptions that we face in our work lives daily. So here are the national patient safety goals. One, we need to identify patients correctly. Two, we want to improve staff communication. We want to use medications uh, safely. New standards this year. We are starting to take a look at alarm safety. So, uh, so this year, we are, um, um, the Joint Commission has structured the task because if you ask any one person to sit here and go, after with Hitchcock, prioritize the alarms you use. I would look at that sort of like going down to my basement. I go down to the basement with the intent to organize it. I get downstairs and go, uh, you know what? I'm going to go read a book. <laughs> I'm going to go take the dogs for a walk. That's a lot easier than figuring out where to even start. Um, so the Joint Commission is structuring the task for us. So this year, they want us to identify the alarms we use and uh, prioritize uh, their need in patient care. Um, we want to prevent infections. We want to identify patient safety risks. 
And finally, we want to prevent mistakes in surgery. Now I'm going to ask you the question again. Are any of these things unreasonable? Are any of these things the result of some regulatory body just making us jump through hoops? This is stuff we really ought to be doing. Again, this is the bare minimum. These are the, these are the floor. This is the floor of what we ought to be providing in uh, patient care. So how does the Joint Commission really assess this? Now, when Joint Commission comes or any surveyors come, there's a bunch of nervous energy. And I will tell you, I will have a little more anxiety than I typically have the day they're here. Um, staff nurses, when they're being asked questions, it's hard to have somebody look over your shoulder, especially someone you don't know look over your shoulder. Um, and someone who is judging the work that you're doing. The reason that they come in here in the manner that they do and they ask the questions that they ask is they have four to five days to figure out, does Dartmouth-Hitchcock give safe care? So there are five of them that in this four-day period are going to have to figure out, do we give safe care here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock? So they've got to come in and they've got to ask a bunch of questions and they've got to observe a bunch of people um, and they really need to move this process along. They don't have months to, to, to come in and study us. Um, so what they do is they do this tracer methodology. And um, how many people have seen one on their units? Have experienced the in-depth tracer? Peggy, you just recently experienced a uh, more in-depth tracer with some folks from the state. Um, So they use this tracer methodology. And what it is, is it's tracing the care of the patient through the system. It's not that they start out with John Doe from when he's in the clinic and follow John Doe through the system. But they'll say, let me see a patient coming in for a total joint. So we'll show them that patient. Then they'll go to the OR. And they'll say, who do you have on your schedule today that's having a total joint? And then they'll look at the perioperative care. Then they'll go to Three West and say, I want to see a pers uh, patient who just had a total joint. And they will examine the post-operative care and the discharge care um, at that point. So they are looking at populations of patients moving through the system. And what they want to do is make sure the patient is getting safe care in each and every point in the system. And going back to the patient safety goals, that we are actually communicating with each other. So people in inpatient know what happened in the clinic, know what happens in the peri-op area. Um, so the clinic can actually go back and see what was done on the inpatient. Um, so when the patient is handed off uh, in between shifts um, from, the, from a unit or a care area to a diagnostic testing area, that we do those handoffs. Does transportation know that patient is on precautions? Um, do, does the oncoming nurse know what the offgoing nurse did that shift? So they are looking at handoffs at all different levels um, in the organization. And finally, they use this, uh, so they go through the tracer methodology, they gather a bunch of data, and then they start drilling in on areas that are potentially issues. 
And what they do is they will ask a question, they will explore. If things are OK, then they go to the next topic. And they go down and continue their assessment. If they find something that may potentially be an issue, they're going to ask for more data on that. So if they're reviewing a post-op chart and they find that there's not a brief op note in there, they may ask for our brief op note completion data. Questions so far? Uh, yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we do, presently do have a clinical alarms policy that rates mm -hmm. priorities. So that's going to be re-looked at, is it what you're saying? Um, that is actually part of the uh, work that's being done by Sue McGrath in anesthesiology. Uh, with the uh, Stephanie, do you know the name of that um, new department? No, I no. can look it up if it's, if it's important, but, but no. it's Andres Tanzer and Sue McGrath. Are, yeah. Am I there? I think I'm in there. Um, but that's okay. Go ahead. I'm there. I'm there. They just have a diff different appointment around where the work is being done related to clinical, yeah. Massimo and, cl and clinical other, yeah. And surveillance monitoring, surveillance and, monitoring. and stuff like that. So yes, yeah, so that's that's part of their work. They've got a time frame they understand, um, joint commission, and they are working through that. Yes, Amy. Amy's on it too, and I think she has the name of the group. That's okay. Clinical alarms monitoring. Clinical alarms monitoring. Awesome. So that's what is being done. So yes, we do have a policy. We knew this um, standard was coming, and in addition to that, we knew we needed to do this work. We knew that this work needed to get done. We did. We, you know, the, the standard helps us structure it um, and sort of structures us prioritizing that work. But we knew we needed to do the work. We know there's a lot of alerts in the environment. Other questions? It's the physiologic monitoring subcommittee. Thank you very much. Oh. Any other questions? Any other questions that I can't answer? I love those questions. Yes, ma'am. So I just wanted to specify that um, it's a little tricky when you have multiple sort of um, types of hospital care within one hospital. So for example, behavioral health needs, some of their standards and requirements are for throughout the house, and some of them are very specific to freestanding psychiatric hospitals or for patients who are primarily admitted for behavioral health needs. So in the adult world, um, that's a little easier to define, but in pediatrics, sometimes you have people who are boarded on your unit for psychiatric purposes. So it's just important when you read the standards to look at that kind of specificity. So what's in, important is even though we do have different care areas through the organization, we are expected to adhere. We are all in, so inpatient psych, um, pediatrics, um, med surge, these are all areas that are um, governed by the hospital accreditation program, including ambulatory care. So any of the um, sort of the north, if you will, uh, the northern clinics, so that would be Heater Road, Lyme Road, St. Johnsbury, uh, the Cancer Center down at Nashua. Um, so any of those areas are our clinics in the Hawker building. Um, those are areas that are all governed, if you will, by the hospital accreditation program. Now, what will happen is they may have a different way of showing compliance with the standard. And so that's important to understand. Each area will be held to the standards. There just may be different ways to show compliance. 
So what we're doing here in spring of 2012, after our 2011 survey, uh, we received about 23 RFIs, don't quote me on the number, um, and we realized we're doing this time and time again. We need to figure something different out. So um, a couple of us in quality assurance and safety began looking and sort of drafting what would be a good stewardship model uh, for regulatory readiness. How could we get this to be a continual readiness program? So ever since I've been a staff nurse um, about 25 years ago, um, we've always talked about when joint commissions come through, why aren't we ready all the time? You know, so as a staff nurse, people who were then in my department would come in and say, you know, hello inpatient psychiatry, we're here for quality and joint commission is going to come in six weeks and you need to remember the answer to these questions. And they used to come in every time and boy, we used to even put a little overtime into it, making sure the documentation was good, reviewing with everybody how they needed to document. Those of us who worked the off shift were just like, I'm not rotating days for the next couple months. Um, and you never had so many day people willing to work an off shift as they were in that during that period. Um, and we would we would we would laugh and almost kind of scoff at it and say, why aren't we doing this all the time? If this is really a meaningful activity, and if 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 they took it seriously, meaning administration, then why aren't we doing this all the time? Well, Joint Commission made it a little difficult to do that. They gave you announced visits. If you know when your in-laws are going to come, okay, you're going to relax a little bit on the house in between. I mean, seriously, that's human nature. Um, and now they've changed to unannounced surveys. 2011 was our first truly unannounced survey. Uh, in 2008, it was unannounced, but it was unannounced with a wink and a grin. We knew when they were going to uh, come. And 2011 was our first unannounced survey. So the spring of 2012, we're like, no, not again. Um, so Diane Andrews from our office really um, dug in and started to uh, do some research with uh, UHC, uh, the Univer uh, University Health Care Consortium, and really looked at what are best practices around this. And <coughs> what she came up with is that, that, that this structure would, one of the best practices is that this structure is actually gets embedded into an existing quality structure in the organization. And it needs to have representatives from you know, a list of specialties and looked around and said, gosh, that sounds like the safety committee. And so the safety committee has representation from um, the various disciplines. In addition, the DH quality committee um, is the body here that sets, uh, that, that prioritizes and strategizes around, you know, where, do we, where on the quality and safety um, um, horizon do we want to head towards? And they can set those kind of priorities. So we have the structure already in place. We didn't need a joint commission steering committee. Joint commission steering committee was so 2005 and 2008. Very good process when we had announced surveys, when we were doing the ramp up to joint commission. 
but in terms of actually embedding standards readiness into our quality assurance and performance improvement plan, we needed to use existing structures, and we had them already here. And then the DH Quality Committee um, actually reports to the Value Committee of the Board. So we um, began, we went to the DH Quality Committee, uh, presented this model, and they approved it. And we began working on building that continuous readiness program. How can we be ready for the Joint Commission each and every day? We're, we're continually in the process of of building this program and, and doing what our department preaches. Every time we have an opportunity to evaluate, you know, sort of doing that PDSA and to make that program better and to tweak it better, uh, we do try to take advantage of that opportunity. So there were two um, areas. There were the operational units and then the safety programs. So safety programs like safety and environmental programs you know, the program uh, that Lindsay Waterhouse um, used to run, that John Canis now runs, um, the CHIP team, our infection prevention team, uh, those of us in the Department of Quality Assurance and Safety. Um, these are, we have a specific sort of lens that we view things through, very important part of continual standards readiness, and then surveillance by operational leaders. I'll be honest, I can't go to pediatrics and say, you guys now have to use two patient identifiers. Bridget would look at me and just laugh. She'd go, dude, seriously. Um, but operational leaders can make those decisions and really work with their units to become standards ready. There is that ability to do that. So that surveillance, we've now asked operational leaders to do surveillance to really help people understand and to be able to look at their units in a different way. Uh, you know, going from maybe looking down a hallway and seeing some equipment, but going, oh yeah, well, you know, it's gotta be there, we're gonna use it at some point, to really starting to ask the question, do we need to have an egress hallway um, crowded with a bunch of furniture on different sides of the hallway? Is that needed? Can we think of something that's safer? Questions about this? We're a small enough group, this can absolutely be a discussion. So what did we do with our timeline? Well, we uh, designed and uh, the stewardship model was approved. Let's see, I think I have a little light here. In December of 2012, we kicked off the continuous standards readiness um, program with an internal mock survey. So the people, my colleagues and I, did a three-day mock survey um, through the house. And from there, we did generate a list of issues. And those issues were addressed um, in that quarter, uh, following that in the first quarter of 2013. And then in April 2013 and May, we began training operational leaders in how to do the targeted tracers, how to do surveillance in their area, helping people understand really what the standards are and really understanding that the standards really are the minimum of what we ought to be doing. This is the floor and the ability to be able to look 
um, at their unit with a new set of eyes. We then designed reports. In August through December of that year, we had a uh, Value Institute Greenbelt project on actually doing a design on what that implementation would look like in ambulatory care. And then the beginning of this year, uh, we implemented this surveillance program in ambulatory care as well. In December of last year, we had VHA come in and do a mock survey. And they generated a list of issues. And we have been working on those issues. Um, and then through the spring, we've just begun really doing more and more um, readiness activities. Uh, today, we're doing the in-depth tracers, which uh, Pam Brown um, and I and, and various other um, people will go to individual units and actually sit a staff nurse down and actually go through a process like a Joint Commission surveyor. Um, the other thing that has just begun is the multidisciplinary clinical standards readiness rounding that's happening on a weekly basis, where like eight of us descend on a unit. And we all walk around for 20, 25 minutes and see as many issues as we can, not doing a comprehensive uh, type of rounding, but really just grabbing at that low-hanging fruit. And then by the time we walk off the unit, the issues that are identified and accountability and to-do lists are already generated. And finally, we're, we're getting ready for the survey. Um, there is a certain amount of house cleaning to do. So even when we are working towards continual standards readiness, you know, no matter how clean I keep my house, when you know my mother comes, yeah, I'm doing a little extra cleaning. And so that's what we're in the process of doing right now. So what does our program consist of? So I just went over this. This is a, a fairly busy chart. But this is our whole readiness program. This is, this is the, um, uh, the flow chart of it, the, the org chart of it, if you will. But essentially, our program boils down to three things, uh, surveillance, measurement, and education and communication, of which we're doing the third arm of the program right now. We're doing some education and communication about the program. Um, the surveillance is done in terms of the monthly audits and tracers, the targeted tracing that gets done, and the annual mock surveys and a host of other activities. Measurement happens um, in terms of reporting or monthly to the quality committee. Um, operational leadership gets reports. And finally, we get out there and we mentor. So each unit has a liaison attached uh, to it. Stephanie is a liaison to a couple areas. I'm a liaison to a couple areas. Um, Diane Chandler, uh, Amy Sa uh, no, Diane Andrews, Karen Chandler. Uh, they share an office, so you know it's a little easy to do that. Um, and then Amy St. Pierre. Uh, we are all liaisons to uh, every area at BH Lab. Uh, has one of us attached to help mentor and clarify uh, those issues. Finally, what can I do? I know you are so excited by this. You're like, Lee, tell us what to do, please. Um, 
Be aware of opportunities to increase patient safety. You know, look around with that new lens. <clears throat> that's, what a, that's the purpose of a lot of the unit level surveillance activities that we have going on. It is really helping people see the dust um, in, their, in, in their own houses. Um, be involved with your area's performance improvement in safety activities. Ask questions. Ask the liaison, ask your leader uh, questions about our readiness status. And please keep in mind that these standards do exist to keep patients safe. When the surveyors come in here, they don't come in here with the, ah, let's see if we can get Dartmouth today. They come in here with the, how can I be, how can I be sure that Dartmouth is providing safe care? So there are resources available. We have the Joint Commission standards available on our intranet um, site. And that is uh, under policies and leadership and then Joint Commission standards. You can also call our office. What questions do you have? Yes, ma'am. Uh, very nice job. Um, I think that my concern for the staff, and it's really great this is recorded because I don't think they have enough background information. Because mm -hmm. I'm just doing the tracers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the past, we've circulated these things, the National Patient Safety Goals. We've given them a lot more background. And so I'm feeling like I'm missing that for the staff. And I wanted to see if you had any other suggestions. Because they're not going to read the standards, but they will maybe look at things like this. So they'll look at that. So the, the staff on, um, what would the staff in your area gravitate towards? So this presentation will be available? Right. Um, I've used this presentation actually in staff meetings that I've gone to um, to do that. Well, I'm just thinking, um, and Jillian brought it to my attention that uh, we're not using the timeout to go off to surgery. Or there's some steps we're missing okay. um, in that whole process. And I don't think people even remember that we have paper process that said, this is what the nurses on the floor used to do to get someone ready for surgery. So there's a lot of background that people are just thinking. There's noise, and they, mm -hmm. they don't really get the, this is just one component of the Joint Commission standards. Right. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how to get more background information for the staff. So when you say background, help me understand what you mean. I go out and do a tracer, and yep. I go through, this is what we're going to do. But they don't, when I say let's go through critical test results, they may not know there's a national patient safety goal to talk about why it's important to do this this way. They don't know the background for why it's important to do it. And do we have any e-learnings? Why is it, why? Why is it important? Why is it important? Why is it important that we do critical results reporting the way that we do? Well, I know why, but the staff have not been told. I mean, we know that patients have been missed, the information yep. has been missed, but we don't give the staff any of that. It's always, do you know the policy and why? Okay. Oh, do you know the policy mm -hmm. and how you follow it? We don't go through why do we do this when we do the tracer. I think that that is a great idea, and we can add that to the um, orientation, for, you know, the, the leader process for when you go around and do tracers. Mm -hmm. So the items in the tracers, uh -huh. so everyone knows. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I think you want to say, though, that, I mean, we're doing these not because we have to meet a joint commission standard, we're doing them because it's the minimum thing we need to do for patient safety. We would want to do this regardless of whether the joint commission was coming or not. I mean, the fact that we have the policy in place and we're following the policy, 
the Joint Commission will say that that's what they're looking at to say that we're meeting minimum standards, and then they're, you know, because um, that's how we've defined what we do here. So I think the Joint Commission is a driver, <coughs> but I, I don't think we might get too hung up in the fact that we're doing it because it meets Joint Commission standard. But it at least provides a framework for safety. And I, you know, I think and I would say I would I agree with you 100. Mm -hmm. percent I think though that the Joint Commission it shouldn't be our framework for safety. I think the culture of safety yeah. should come. Joint commission is. Do you, do you, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know we have analogy about that. Yeah. What I feel like we're doing is just mm -hmm. revealing what the policy is, not why. Well, the why is because it's what we need to do for patient safety. But I, that doesn't help the nurses out. So, are you? Do you think that when you say it doesn't help them, is it harder for people to follow through on something that where they don't understand the context? Maybe. Or just or, or the consequences, Bridget. Yeah. Or the fact that people die because we're not following these things. You know, they just it's not yeah. part of their. I've seen it. They have mm -hmm. not. I've sat at searches. I understand it. But the mm -hmm. bedside nurse does not understand the importance of some of these steps. And I think we've just moved away from providing the framework for why these things are important. Can you repeat just for you for the people who are going to be able to see? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Bridget was asking. You know what? Why don't we do this? Because I don't think I'm going to do justice to this kind of discussion. You can restate your question and then you plug it as a question afterwards. Okay, my observation on the style we're doing with the tracing methodology is we're asking staff questions. They don't have any background information for why we're doing this other than it's for safe patient care. But I think there's a lot of literature out there for how we can create a safe environment. And I'm not giving that to them. So I'm just trying to figure out, just like the timeout before they leave the unit, why is this important? Not just do the task. It's mm -hmm. What is the framework by how we move through and keep patients safe? We're just asking, what are the procedural steps? And I think we need to do more. Okay. I, I need to think about that for a little, I, I, I'm still kind of absorbing it. And I actually wanted to comment on that too. I think you're right. I think that's that's why we are going to be embarking on the culture of safety work here because we're missing that key component. Absolutely. So I actually wanted to comment on that way back when. So I appreciate all the comments since I raised my hand. But um, when I talk to people about that, and particularly around something like restraints, which is so regulatory driven. And I have to get some buy-in from the staff. What I find helpful is having a quick example of an error that was done related to the issue that we're now really scrolling down on and driving deep on. So for me, it's helpful to A, know the regulation, to know the evidence-based practice behind it, but also to know a brief patient story that basically might not have happened here, but why it's driven this at the national level. And I find having those all wrapped together because honestly about restraints, if you just talk about safe clinical care, all the nuts and bolts about restraints is so regulatory driven, I get much more buy-in if I explain. It's about patient safety. It's about the history of the egregious things we've done to patients in restraints in the past, particularly in the psychiatric um, setting. And P.S. It's regulatory driven. So, you know, I sort of do all three at the time, but it would be helpful for when we're doing tracers outside of our specialty knowledge basis to have that little frequently asked questions or historical information or a brief like background so that when the staff look at us blankly, like, okay, I'll show you the policy and I'll show you where I do it in EDH, 
there's some buy-in as to why we're doing it. And for me, just a really brief, you know, those kind of examples, there's regulatory, there's patient errors, and here's an example of one that happened nationally that was in the news. That really grabs staff. Hi, everybody. Um, just a suggestion. I know that this will probably raise hairs in the back of the neck, but I wonder if there is a uh, room for an e-learning or a competency around this that could be a long, not like a long-standing um, e-learning that our new pe people could take when they come here, or if people need a reminder, but something like what Peggy said, including a case study or two about why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. Would that be helpful? I think having some. Thank you, Lee. I think having some background information, I think we've lost that by going this way. Um, I know it. I know where all these come from, but I don't think the staff have a, a model to look at to sort of understand why we're doing it. And the culture of safety may do that, and if we may have all these e-learnings. I know pediatrics is going to be doing some stuff, but I think that that's, that's what we're missing. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, so in terms of the targeted tracers um, that are being done right now, what drives those questions are, uh, it's fourfold. It's one, is this a new standard? So like with the CAUTI questions, these are new standards. We need to help um, um, staff and everyone become aware of these new standards. Uh, two, it's things that we've not done so well on in the past. So stuff that we didn't do so well on in 2011, they're absolutely taking a look at this time. Um, the third one are things that we know um, are issues. Maybe they didn't find them in another survey, but things that we know um, are issues. Um, also, hot topics nationally. And then uh, finally, most frequently cited standards um, across the country. So those are the things that are driving those targeted tracer um, questions. Any other? Yes, ma'am. Uh, what were the top, you can repeat this, what were the top findings in 2011? What were the top findings in 2011 here? Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, there were 23 findings, and I know that. Restraint orders. Restraint orders. Uh, can you find it quickly? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I um, uh, oh, dating, uh, timing, dating and timing uh, consents, 24-hour uh, update. 24-hour update to the H&P. Um, learning needs assessment. Learning needs assessments. Um, yeah. Is there a website you can look at these questions? You mean the, the RFI stuff? Is there any list that I can look up? So you don't have to repeat it. I'm just trying to get an idea. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find something. We can, add, we can, we can uh, make that available. Yeah. Okay. If not currently on the, we don't, we don't put the report on the intranet, mm -hmm. uh, but we can make that available. Other than the reading between the lines and assuming the tracers are covering the things that are on the national sort of view, hit list, um, are there some specific things that they're finding are happening nationally that they're honing in on? Um, they're looking at, I mean, they are, they're looking at CAUTI, they're looking at uh, restraints, 
because of some other issues that have happened nationally? There were, uh, national, the Sentinel Vet numbers this year have been about retained objects and um, CJD when it came out. Um, Isn't that Crooks? Um, Crossfield Drug Test yep. Disease, right? Um, ensuring that our processes and procedures are in place to um, yeah, mitigate those things. Um, we heard, like, so. Um, Oh, wait. Behavioral health, you know, patient flow with behavioral health stuff. So, you know, patients in the ADs for 10 days and their care plans. Those are the things I can think of. Do you want me to say them all over again, just for the yeah. mic's sake? Yeah, just, just for okay. the mic's sake. So we were talking about the, um, the Sentinel Vent Alerts that have come out have been, um, there was an uh, amendment to the CJD um, Sentinel Vet Alert. There was a new one related to un unattended, unintended retention of foreign objects. Um, we were talking about the behavioral health and the flow of patients that's been um, coming up a lot. Restraints, you mentioned. Um, I think you were talking about Cotty and Clapsy and related to what are, you know, are we implementing bundles? Do we have data? Can staff speak to data? Does the data that's presented on the units, does it give the person walking up to it and understanding what the data is saying. So it's not just enough to have it up anymore, but to actually be able to say, this is what it's telling you. Um, I know VHA was hot on that. Um, those are the things that I can think of. Another issue that's come up is uh, scope cleaning. And so we, we've done a lot of work here in uh, scope cleaning. So overall, um, it's important. And, and oh, one last thing on the targeted tracers. I do take some of the wording for the questions from questions the way the surveyors have actually asked them. Because they don't come in here with a native knowledge of what we call everything. They have their way of asking questions, and, and we do uh, belong to a program that we get actual, uh, you know, someone will scribe surveyor questions. And so we do uh, get those. So overall, why do we do these things? You know, yes, in my world, it's, it's where we're, we, I look at the Joint Commission standards, I see the chapter, I see the, the standard level. But overall, really, why we do this is to keep patients safe. This is really the minimum that we ought to be, uh, this is the minimum level of safety that we ought to be providing patients. And in addition to that, we can choose to then offer even more, which absolutely implement best practices um, and do all that to, to forward our culture of safety. Um, so with that, if there are any questions, thank you very much. Thank you. 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 Thank you.